The Collegiate Ministries podcast is a resource presented by collegiateministries.com and is funded by the Young Clergy Initiative of the United Methodist Church. Production support is provided by Wesley's Revival. For more information on building just, vibrant, and inclusive ministries for college-aged young adults, visit collegiateministries.com. You are listening to the Collegiate Ministries podcast, where we discuss what just, vibrant, and inclusive campus ministries can look like in the 21st century. My name is Derek Scott III. I'm the Executive Director of Campus City Wesley Foundation in Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm Rich Havard, the pastor of the Inclusive Collective in Chicago, Illinois. We are your co-hosts for this season. Let's reimagine campus ministry together. Hi to our listeners and welcome uh, to this episode of Collegiate Ministries Podcast. Today we're discussing how campus ministries can build a solid foundation, how we can find our true purpose and live out of that purpose in ways that are contextual and justice-driven. And we'll be discussing how to do that during this season in the midst of a pandemic and in a particular grievous moment concerning racism and the killing of Black people at the hands of police. Really excited to have some good friends on the episode today. We have Rhymes McElvin and Cole Riley, friends with vast experience in collegiate ministry. They're coming from different contexts, um, and I believe they're just going to have some really good stuff to contribute to our conversation. So I want to say hello to Cole and Rhymes. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, Glad to be here. Super cool. Um, would you guys be willing to just kind of quickly tell us sort of like what you're working on right now, your, your uh, physical location, but also social location, and just tell our listeners a little bit about you. Maybe we could start with Cole. Sure. Uh, my name is Cole Arthur Riley, and I um, am currently in Ithaca, New York. I do ministry at Cornell University, um, currently serving as the content and spiritual formation manager at Chesterton House which is a Center for Christian Studies at Cornell um, through the CCO. Uh, I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh. Um, so being in uh, Ithaca is fairly new to me, but we've been doing ministry here for seven years. Thank you, Derek. Great to be with you guys today. Um, my name is Rhymes McKelvin and uh, I serve as the executive director of Mere Christianity Forum, a campus ministry connected to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. <clears throat> um, it's a role that I've been in for the last 13 years. Uh, my wife and I are also ordained United Methodist clergy and pastored churches for about six or seven years before we moved here 13 years ago. And um, we're raising together uh, four, four kids who are... Uh, 16, 13, 9, and 7. And um, that's a, a, a really important and, and um, super fun part of our shared life together. Um, and in addition to the work that I do here at Furman, I also am working with these folks um, to create a set of collegiate ministry resources through a, a grant that we got through the United Methodist Young Clergy Initiative uh, to support other campus ministries around the United States um, doing fantastic uh, ministry with young adults. Awesome. Thanks, um, Cole and Rhymes. Great to be with y'all today. 
So to get our discussion started, um, I'm going to play a clip for us, about a two-minute clip from the 1980 uh, baccalaureate address that Howard Thurman gave at Spelman College. Uh, Thurman, of course, was uh, one of the great sages and elders uh, of the civil rights movement. Um, he's not talked about as much as some of the other more vocal and sort of prominent leaders who were in the front leading, uh, but he was a huge part of that movement and acted as a mentor and guide um, to many of those folks on the forefront. And so we're going to listen to him uh, and then uh, talk about um, hit this portion of his speech uh, just a little bit. There is in every person something that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in herself. There is in you something that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. Nobody like you has ever been born. And no one like you will ever be born again. You are the only one. And if you cannot hear it, you'll never find whatever it is for which you're searching. And if you hear it, and then do not follow it, it were better that you had never been born. You are the only you that has ever lived. Your idiom is the only idiom of its kind in all the existences. And if you cannot hear the sound of the genuine in you, you will all of your life Spend your days on the ends of strings that somebody else pulls. So we give uh, gratitude to the Spelman College archives for letting us uh, use that clip and giving us permission for that. And we wanted to open up with that clip because um, Derek and I believe that uh, organizations, campus ministries, like people, have souls, have a purpose, have true selves a sound of the genuine, to use Thurman's language. But yet in campus ministries, we often neglect to attend to and discover that deepest purpose. Instead, we often try to be all things to all people, doing all kinds of things, and thus often not doing much very well. And so our, our first question to you both is, how do you, uh, with your communities, listen for the sound of the genuine uh, of your campus ministry? How do you determine your focus mission and vision and values? And also, how have our current realities with COVID-19 and the, the continued killing of Black people at the hands of police shifted your mission and vision and values, uh, if they have? I must say that when I read this question um, or invitation to reflect together, it gave me pause because as a person who grew up in um, a large um, 
Southern Baptist Church in Georgia, we weren't given the tools or encouragement or accountability to do much thinking or reflecting about organizations, much less systems, and whether or not they had a soul or not, and whether or not they were achieving their intended calling or purpose. So I would say that in the last 10 or 15 years, actually last 20 years, if I'm honest, a lot of my own discernment has become around the fact that I really haven't been equipped or wasn't equipped as a young adult or a young person in my early formation to think well or to think faithfully about organizations, institutions, and systems. Everything was pretty much couched in individualism. And with Thurman's, this portion of Thurman's speech, there's a real temptation to go there. I mean, when he says, you are the only you that's ever been, you're the, in all of the existences, your idiom is the only idiom of its kind. I mean, you could hear that as a sort of echo and affirmation of really radical individualism, which, you know, Western uh, culture, particularly for the last 500 to 800 years, has really been marked by that kind of individualism. Um, I happen to know that that Thurman as a part of the movement now described as the beloved community. Certainly it was described that way before too in civil rights movement. Thurman locates any theology or conviction about humanity in a communal understanding first and not an, a, a rabid individualism. Yeah, I love that rhymes. I especially love the, the piece around um, sort of doing this while Furman is also doing this work. And so um, I'd love to hear um, from you, Cole, about what um, the, the discovery of the sound of the genuine looks like for you um, at Chesterton House um, and, and how that's um, been ongoing, what it looks like particularly now during this really uh, interesting time that we're living in. Right. I, I really appreciate, Rhymes, that you began by kind of naming the tension in focusing on the individual and the collective in terms of listening to the sound of the genuine. I think that's just really profound and true. And uh, I think many have perceived that focusing on that which unites us, which is common among us, that you are somehow doing transcendent work, maybe even more effective or strategic work. Um, But I'm coming to believe that only in making space for stunning particularity of personhood, of place, of story, that ministry um, begins to transcend individualism and begins to manifest a collective. Um, And I think when done when done and examined rightly, particularity um, yields belonging and that there's a, there's a paradox there um, a bit. And so with our students, we have a a rich tradition of storytelling um, of story work in the community, not merely tell me how you became a Christian, but what are the stories that made you? What did 
five-year-old Cole think of her, her blackness? Tell me about the first time you saw your dad cry. Um, and not even just the stories you perceive as your own, but um, I'm no longer content with um, a student story that is divorced from their ancestors. Tell me something about you that starts with your grandmother. Um, and I, I think that that's deeply connected what, to what Howard Thurman what, what Howard Thurman is saying, he has a point in that, um, in that address where he says, it is possible for me to go down in me and come up in you. It is possible for me to come down in me and come up in you. Um, and I think that's really beautiful and uh, really poignant as far as how um, examining your own story and, and the nuances and specificities of your own story can actually link you to another, um, even if there's not a, a known commonality there, um, that something mysterious happens. Um, so I'll say this. I don't think we were ever meant to bear an examination of self to listen to the sound of the genuine if it's divorced from the stories that made us. So it's in my father's story, my mother's, my grandmother's, um, my Zadies that I begin to see my own story refracted. Um, and so we practice that. We practice that with students regularly. I, I love the phrase stunning particularity. Cool. I'm like over here, like jotting down, I'm jotting down those notes. I'm wondering if, if you all have um, some, any, any like just quickly or briefly, any tools that you all use. So both it's Cole, you named sort of how storytelling is a really key portion of, of what Chesterton House does. Rhymes, you use the mission of, of the, the thoughtful exploration of Christian faith. I'm wondering if you have any like tools that you use to help, um, especially as, as campus ministries are thinking about starting or restarting to help them really get down to what that could be for them. So if it's storytelling for Chesterton House, if it's thoughtful exploration for Mere Christianity Forum, what are, what are some skills you think people could use to help um, discover the sound of the genuine as they're starting or restarting? So I was struck actually hearing this um, piece from Thurman just now again, when he says there is something in you that waits and listens. And I feel like there's precious little that is being done to equip young adults to cultivate their capacity to nourish whatever it is that Thurman is referring to there. And I, you know, I would assume that, you know, you could refer to that as soul or, you know, what Parker Palmer calls the true self or um, there's, there's lots of languages for that. But my recommendation is what can we do as as a field of ministry, as ministry practitioners, that helps nourish that part of a person, a young adult sitting in front of us, who is in this moment coming to us, waiting and watching, and in effect, listening for the sound of their own genuine, but trying to hear it from or through us. Mm. And um, sometimes those sacred moments come and and there is something that you need to say that is is divinely authored and and something that you feel compared compelled to share. But to me, that's like a season, a seasoning, a, a spice in in 
a conversational soup, right? I mean, <laughs> and I think that a lot of times well-intentioned folks do a lot more telling than, than helping people listen. Yeah, I think um, for us, Rhymes and I are in similar contexts. We do a, a lot of cultivating skills in students looks like cultivating habit and making habit out of remembrance and making habit out of examining our memory to make sure the collective story we're telling about something that has happened is actually shared and most true. Um, but also what Rhymes was just saying at the end there about um, knowing who, who are safe people um, with whom you can share the sound of the genuine in you. I think listening to the sound of the genuine, is, genuine in yourself is one thing, but it um, is great risk and uh, comes at a great cost to ask someone to actually share that with another. And so I think part of the skill work is to walk with students to, to, to ask them who are the people um, who you can share this part of yourself with. And um, I'm not sure it needs to be that any one person can hold, holds all of it. Um, I think maybe we're lucky if that's the case, but, um, but that we can really train students to think through um, this is a person I feel is safe to hold this part of myself and that that would do some good. Um, yeah. Oh man. Y'all that, that whole conversation around the sound of the genuine and like getting that deep, I think that that's a part of this conversation about creating um, a campus ministry, revitalizing campus ministries. It's the, I think it's the space where we have to think about the soul of what we're trying to create, right? Like, um, and maybe that's not been done in enough of our ministries. And that's something that we have to do as we move forward in deeper into the 21st century. And I think one of the ways that we're trying to get to it, at least in the primer that Rich and I are working on is articulating these values around a just, equitable and inclusive ministry and approach to ministry that is just equitable and inclusive. And so I'm just wondering if, if you all could speak to some of that of like, what does, and I know that these words are, um, there's at times limited and sometimes they mean different things to different people. But in your context, how does justice and equity and inclusion become more than just words, but actually values that drive how you do ministry? Does that question make sense? So the study center, Chesterton House, um, which I work at, its ministry roots are um, are very academic. We work with a lot of Christian faculty and bring in faculty across the country to speak about their faith in particular fields of study. And our um, our image on campus is is very much entwined with with academia. And I think in this moment, um, where the world is kind of staring black reality in the face for for hopefully longer than a moment. But um, while that's happening, we as an organization have been thinking, what does it mean um, 
to to do some truth telling around the the harm and the evil that has been perpetuated against people of color by academia um and mm. to name that that's a difficult thing for black students and other students of color to feel safe in our ministry um simply by virtue of us being so connected to um an academic orientation and so we've started to um to name to name that to name where we have fallen fallen short is kind of a, a glib term, but where we're just not hitting the mark. But I think there's been so much freedom and healing and just naming the truth of our, our history and being able to re-examine, okay, I didn't get to choose the vision for Chesterton House. It's, a, it's an inherited vision. I think there's some um, inherent good in it, but I also think it's linked to some historic evil. Um, recovering the intellectual riches of the historic Christian faith. Well, um, white historic Christian faith hasn't done great things for me as a black woman. Um, and so to have students hear me name that and hear that tension in me, I think has been really good. Um, I recently heard uh, Dr. Esau Macaulay, he's a Wheaton professor, say um, when the church isn't telling the truth, any heresy will do. Um, and it, it's so good. So good. When the church isn't telling the truth, any heresy will do. And I think um, we so often in kind of academic spheres think that um, to be nonpartisan, to be non-biased means to just um, sit back, present all opinions and, and let truth speak for itself. But the past few weeks and months, I've really been reckoning with, no, actually, I'm not just supposed to let truth speak. I'm supposed to be the one speaking it. Um, I have a responsibility as a Christian and as someone who is shepherding students to, to tell the truth. And my white husband has a responsibility as a man that white men are looking to, to, to hear it from his voice, from his mouth, to tell the truth. So. Um, it's honestly, it's, it's changed. It's changed a lot about how we're thinking about ministry for the coming year. And, um, and the, the sins that we're carrying in, in terms of kind of how we want to protect our image. Um, it's like something that everyone's thinking about, but no one's naming, but there's this need to kind of re relinquish that desire to, you know, seem a certain way to get a certain kind of person in your ministry. And instead we've been trying to kind of push against that in each other as staff to say, no, we don't need to seem a certain way. How do we be a certain way? <laughs> Let's just do it. And, and then we don't have to worry about our, our image so much. Um, so that's, that's some of what we've been thinking about. And, and Cole, I just want to thank you for so many quotes in, in that last section. So much good. Um, I appreciate that you also kind of hit on how we began to think about these values of justice, equity, and inclusion. If those values have not been a part of how our organizations have been built. Um, and so I'll just throw it to rhymes and sort of how, how, how might an organization live into these values? Um, how does uh, 
near Christianity Forum live into these values? Um, what do we do to try to get there? Um, how do we really begin to even bring board members along in some of that maybe? Um, so, Ryan, I'll just pass it on to you there. So about seven years ago, um, I mean, a really simple thing, like Cole's organization, Chesterton House, Mere Christianity Forum um, was really, you know, inspired by Labrie and some other kind of evangelical intellectual kinds of organizations and practices, um, really looking at the and valuing the, the life of the mind and the life of faith. And um, scholarship, and particularly Western scholarship, particularly the American Higher Education Academy, is just chuck full of systemic racism, injustice, and bias, um, like most other American institutions. I think the number of PhDs that are people of color in the United States is less than 8% of the full-time tenure-track faculty at universities across the United States. I mean, that's not an exact stat, but it's really close. It's, it's not even approaching 10% of the people who hold PhDs and are teaching in full-time positions in universities that are people of color. It's well less than 10%. Um, I mean, in, Anyway, so about seven years ago, we just said every year, because we invite anywhere from three to five, I mean, excuse me, two, two to four guests from other universities and seminaries and kind of think tanks and that sort of thing to come on campus. And we just said, you know, we're inviting um, a scholar of color or a th Christian thought leader of, of color every year, period. And we started that about seven years ago. It's a small. I mean, that's just a small. That's not even risky, you know? And um, year before last, our organization won um, the, the, the diversity award for the university. And I'm thinking, I know how feeble our efforts are systemically as an organization you know, but we have now people of color on our board for the first time as of three years ago. Um, we've always had um, LGBTQ students and people of color eligible and living in our residential intentional Christian community. Um, and that has been, you know, befuddling to, to plenty of folks. Um, but all that is to say the value that we have around Christian hospitality not being about doilies and lemonade and y'all come on into the house and hang out, you know, anybody's welcome, um, but actually making programmatic leadership, putting people in front of people and, and saying these folks um, are the kinds of people that students need to be listening to and learning from um, has, has made a big difference. Making, being really intentional about the variety, the diversity of books, you know, as a, as a more heady kind of ministry. Um, what kind of authors are we putting in students' hands? Um, and 
other resources like that and ensuring that they're from people um, who come from non-white traditions and non-white backgrounds um, has been another part of how our organization has really been committed to this the last six or seven years. And I know that these are just sort of very small steps, but in their cumulative have begun to really genuinely shape um, how we're perceived on campus and to shape the quality of our ministry with young adults. And um, I just, so, so I'm, I'm excited about that. At the same time, I know how far we have to go to become a truly just, equitable, and inclusive organization. But the place that we do that and the real value that we center that around in is radical or authentic Christian hospitality, not as um, a couple of things that you do to prepare well, but as an ethos. And if you want to create an ethos of just, equitable, and and inclusive, authentic Christian hospitality, that takes work on the daily. And systemically, that needs to be written into, you know, the values, the mission, all those kinds of things for your collegiate ministry. And we're increasingly doing more and more of that. so much um rhymes and cole i it's uh, one of the things that's really important for derek and myself about that particular piece around justice and equity and inclusion is so many times those things are sort of tacked on at the end like these like extra things that we can do once we get these other things down but we really want to talk about a, a campus ministry for today where that stuff as i think you use the phrase rhymes just like baked into the dna of who we are where these things matter and we're going to attend to them, not as like political correct values we need to have, but as gospel values about what, uh, about the kind of world God dreams about. And so I really appreciate the particularities of which both of you talked about um, that value. And I think, especially from different contexts, right? Um, as, as um, you know, Cole um, at, at Cornell, which is a pretty a racially and ethnically diverse university, at Rhymes, you're at a, at a PWI, a predominantly white institution. And so it really matters, like, how do we talk about these things in different ways? And I think we'll have campus ministers listening to this who come from both of those places, also with HBCUs and lots of other things. And so um, there are different ways to incarnate these values depending on our, our context. So that's the, 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 the next question we want to ask is about that, is about how do you really excavate, explore the context on which your campus ministry operates. Um, how do you uh, know who your people are? Know what's going on? How do you put your fingers on the pulse of your campus? Um, especially during this time, and just thinking about, you know, perhaps in the fall, the semester um, for, for a lot of us is going to look very different than it has in the past. So how, how do you plan to get to know your context? Because college campuses are different every semester, really. How do you plan to get to know your context with our new um, reality? Sure. Uh, um, 
so rich i think that there's not to be um in any way dismissive of the gravity of how different ministry will need to be for whatever length of time this season where covid and um the pandemic that it has uh brought on is impacting ministry of all kinds but particularly student ministry which is so much um about withness right it's about walking with students and equipping students to walk with other students and to accompany them through this journey of you know Howard Thurman talking about discovering and listening to the sound of the genuine amidst all of these experiences classes and parties and uh, excursions and internships and um, family of origin and you know all these kinds of things so I, I don't want to make light of how significant the difference differences are going to be but my my first real reaction is by listening to students and yeah I'm, i might do more listening to students through you know whatever facetime or in the olden days skype um or of course more commonly zoom or google hangouts or all the other tools that we have to do that but Listening to students who are listening well to their peers mm-hmm. is exactly how I'm going to keep doing collegiate ministry. And I hope that we'll keep as an organization doing it well. Because, and at the same time, listening to the Holy Spirit. Um, and to me, that's the whole, you know, you've got two ears to listen to your neighbor and, and listen to the Lord. But, um, you know, that sounds like a good Baptist saying, right? It, there. it is. It is. I'm <laughs> sure it is. Trustworthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, see, there's there's good things. There's good things. Um, but the needs, on the one hand, will not change. College students are still going to be discerning meaning and identity and calling. And 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 purpose, and at the same and convictional commitment, you know, faith-based um, theological commitments, um, Christian commitments, or other otherwise, the complexities are just going to continue to ratchet up. But having done this thirteen years, done collegiate ministry for thirteen years, and being able to, though I'm I'm getting on in years, as y'all like to remind me, being able to remember my own college experience, which I still can for the most part, thinking about the complexity continuing to ratchet up is not a surprise. That's not new. I mean, the fact that my my children, my seven-year-old, you know, can access every single civil rights museum online right now if she just borrows my cell phone or uses my ipad i mean that's both an incredible gift and incredibly complex and so um anyway 
we're always having to figure out how to do faithful ministry in the midst of increasing complexity. And so, you know, how I think we do that best is listening well, listening consistently to students who are also listening well to their peers and collectively listening to the Holy Spirit. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that and think, so I am immunocompromised. So however campus looks in the fall, um, we're, we're not quite sure about that yet. Um, I know that my role um, and my capacity is going to look different than a lot of other ministries on campus, a lot of my um, colleagues. And I, I'm i carrying a, a certain amount of anxiety about that, but more so I've been thinking um, how to kind of dismiss the arrogance in me that says that I'm the only one who can do this work, um, that I'm the only one that would be able to, to speak to a student and to really focus on caring well for the students that are already in my midst. It's, it's so hard to um, just keep a relationship alive over Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time imagining meeting someone and establishing intimacy with them over Zoom. I think it's possible, but extremely difficult. And, um, and so I think I'm, I'm excited and looking forward to, to leaning pretty heavily on the, the minds um, of students, the innovation of students as to how to do this well, because they tend to know, um, know better than I. They tend to in- innovate better than I, um, at least. But I have been thinking, you know, about, uh, along with others, I've been thinking about our current reality being one that is um, so disembodied. Um, it's, I'm an Enneagram 5, if anyone follows the Enneagram. And, come through, come on, yes. Right, Derek. Mm-hmm. It is quite easy for me to forget my body for hours and hours. Um, and so... Um, the pandemic for me means that I can stare at my computer screen and have, you know, five meetings in a row and forget that I haven't eaten breakfast or lunch. Um, And so I've been thinking about how that will inform our ministry in in the fall um, about how we can be almost subversive in a way where, you know, many students will be expecting just this kind of face-to-face interaction, but what kind of embodied practices can we do with students that make it less about what I have to say and and much more about what we're doing with our bodies together? Um, before we began, Rich led us in a breathing exercise, um, the, the four of us, in a, in a breathing exercise, a powerful moment where I felt like we were connected and, you know, in a room in South Carolina together again. Um, and I think mm-hmm. there is mystery and power in those, you know, doing things with our bodies together. Um, it's not, it's not altogether natural to me, but I feel like it's a bit of a duty in terms of how, when I think about how to make space for students, um, make space for students in the fall, but also, especially now, um, if you want to talk about race, you know, um, I wish I had looked up this quote, but Ta-Nehisi Coates has this wonderful quote about uh, racism and sociology and the history and the graphs of racism all falling with um, all falling heavily on the body, 
on the body. And we've been telling our students that what's happening around you, what you're observing on TV, the protests you're participating in, it's all doing something to your very physical self and the physical is spiritual. And so how do we pay attention to that together um, and not just stare at each other on a screen and process the protests you went to, but actually do something like, can we, can we, can we do some stretches? Can we breathe together? Um, and I think those will be powerful tools come fall. I really appreciate you uh, pointing to um, not feeling like you have to figure it all out and students innovation um, because I mean, yes, there, there are ways in which we have to figure things out to- totally uh, agree. And at the same time, um, like I mentioned before with a student leadership board of a dozen students who are all um, relating to their peers more, even more often than I am, you know, they have fantastic ideas and, and small, simple hacks and things they're picking up from other groups and um, classes and, you know, stuff their own that they're, that they're trying themselves or that they've just had an idea. And they, they know that this uh, is a place where ideas are welcome and um, we can try new stuff, right? We don't have a, a system and a code and a way of being as a campus ministry that's kind of like, oh, no, we, we could never do that as an organization. I mean, this is a place where ideas are welcome and, um, you know, trying new stuff because we don't have this sort of, you know, heavy laden, well, if we're going to try that, then we need to make sure we're going to, I mean, you know, like, it's okay. Like, we can try something and if it works, that's awesome. We'll build momentum on it. But I love... And our organization was created by students, right? I mean, this is a place, that's a part of who we are. You know, instead of them looking at me and being like, how are we going to do this, Rhymes? I mean, it's like, okay, you know, how are we going to do this? And um, so I just love you pointing to that, Cole. And um, yes, I'm a part of that we. And I have things that I bring to that. And they have things that they bring to that. And this is actually a part of how we work on on equity is one of our um, covenants of presence with our residential communities that, um, you know, we all have a story to tell and no person's gifts, limits, or experiences are more valuable or important than anyone else's gifts, limits, or experiences. And so we need to share our stories with one another and, um, you know, yeah, they're, they're different, but they're not any more valuable than another and we really practice that as an organization um as best as best we can and um but anyway i just i love you pointing to that student innovation cole and and um and it's also not just me and students right i have these awesome colleagues like you guys that i can lean into and listen to and um you know part of what we're trying to do with these resources is create an an ethos and environment of of sharing among people who are committed to doing really faithful ministry with young adults all over the place and listening to and with one another um, to the leadership of the Spirit. So all of that heartens me for really facing the complexities, the emerging complexities that that are inevitably coming um, as campuses both reopen and surely to goodness reclose um, this fall. Y'all, I... There has been so much in today's conversation, uh, just so much richness and so much reflection. And I think that some of it is also like that we are, we are in this very specific moment of 
um, are we post-COVID? Are we in, <laughs> actually pre-COVID? <laughs> we don't even know. Uh, <laughs> and, and then heightened racial tension, right? And, 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 and looking at the, the state of our country and our world as it relates to people of color, indigenous people, black people. And in the midst of all of this, we still have this mandate to serve college students today serve college students who are going into this world. And so my question for both of you as we're beginning to come to a close is, is this, um, and I invite us to think how this might be more tweetable than, um, than, than a larger sort of response, but if there are collegiate organizations, you know, individuals leading collegiate organizations listening to this episode, and they want to take a step in bringing justice, equity, and inclusion into their organizations, whether they're starting one or um, they are continuing the, the work of, of, of a ministry that started before them. What's one step that they could take in moving towards a more just, equitable, inclusive organization ministry? Um, and I'd love for Cole to start us. Um, um, one, one almost tweetable step. Yeah, I would say um, don't introduce momentary resources, but examine and be willing to replace your ministry's foundational resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about DNA earlier, and I think um, it's not a topic, justice, equity, and inclusion. It's not one aspect of your ministry, but if you want it to be all of it, it has to start from your origin story and being willing to, to let your heroes die and to, to, to change, um, to change what you want your foundations to be. Cole, you just keep dropping fire. <laughs> so good. Rhymes. What I'm really moving towards is an understanding, and this is to your point about organizations having a soul, is that my question or challenge would be, how are your campus ministries? How is, it, how is your campus ministry befriending organizations on campus that have different values and um, racial makeup than your own. Mm. Mm -hmm. You can partner with somebody, right? I mean, I can partner with folk all day long, but if I put the layer on it of saying, actually, I'd like to become friends with you. Mm. I want to become friends with this person in my community who's different than me and whatever the, the myriad ways we can come up to, to name differences. And so insofar as a, an organization is sort of anthropomorphized here and has a soul, et cetera, um, in what way is your campus ministry befriending other organizations on campus that are different than yours? Good. And having to do that in order to be a good friend, it's going to be a whole lot of listening first and discerning second before it's ever important to speak or share. Cole Rhymes, I just want to thank you both so, so much for the wealth of experience and reflection that you brought to this episode. Um, there's just so much gold, so much good, so much that so many phrases that need to be 
tweet it out into the world. And so just thank you both um, for being a part of today's episode. We really appreciate it. Thanks, friends. Thanks for being here. The Collegiate Ministries podcast is a resource presented by collegiateministries.com and is funded by the Young Clergy Initiative of the United Methodist Church. Production support is provided by Wesley's Revival. For more information on building just, vibrant, and inclusive ministries for college-aged young adults, visit collegiateministries.com.